Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. My mum was once in a recording studio um, up in Newcastle, I think, with Enoch Powell. She she had to go and, and make a series of, of sort of... Uh, Time tees, thought for the end of the day kind of thing. And Enoch Powell was another one that was speaking. There was four or five of them that were recording a whole series of, of these things. And um, they had a, a meal together, this group. And the question was posed over the meal, um, supposing we, the, the little four or five of them that sat around, were the only people left on earth. There's been some uh, desperate accident and we were the only ones left. What would we do? And Enoch Powell suggested that what they should do was to begin by reconstructing everything that they uh, could remember of Mark's gospel. Which is an interesting thing for him to say. Well, supposing you were faced with that challenge. You had to reconstruct everything that you could remember of Mark's gospel. To rebuild civilization on that. What, how would you get on? Sort of puzzled looks around the place. Eyebrows sort of upping and downing. Well, let's make it easier than that. Because um, it's perhaps been a long time since you read Mark's Gospel. Um, how would you construct anything of last week's message? How many of you were here yet last Sunday night? I'm going to ask for confessions. Is Simon Mayo confession night? David was certainly here because you were preaching. Um, <laughs> any others that were here? Now, can any of you remember, perhaps in a single sentence, a summary of what David was teaching us from the Word of God last week. Not you, David. Andrew. You can buy friends. In heaven. In heaven. Yes. Uh, any, any other summaries? That's actually a brilliant summary of verse 9 of the chapter we're going to be reading from. Anything else that you want to add? You can buy friends. In heaven. Use your money now so as to uh, have friends in eternity. Put your money into evangelism so that there'll be people who will just be so grateful. They will welcome you, embrace you. You know, you'll be right at the heart of the party. Yeah. Use your possessions or your money for eternal purposes. And that was addressed to the disciples in Luke 16. We're reading from Luke 16. And it's been a mind-stretching concept. I guess some of you have been thinking about it during the course of the week. And at the end of that uh, little first section of Luke 16, we read this. The Pharisees who love money. They heard all this. And they were sneering at Jesus. Can you imagine them standing at the back of the crowd as Jesus had told this parable, particularly to his disciples, but with a voice loud enough to be heard by the others. They stood at the back and they sneered because they loved money. And so Jesus said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. You do it all the time, but God knows your heart. And what is highly valued among men, this love for money, is actually detestable in God's sight. And then the Lord replies with this story, uh, which is the second in our series of, of practically living now in the light of eternity. And we're going to start reading from um, verse 19 of Luke 16. And it's easy to remember 
Two men, two deaths, two hereafters. So if you meet Enoch Powell, Luke 16, two men, two deaths, two hereafters. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to, the, to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The contrasts are obvious. There's, there's the, the man living, first of all, in unrestrained luxury. He has a magnificent big house. He, he dresses in the finest clothes money could buy. He has gourmet meals every time he sits down to eat. And then the other man is living in absolute poverty in the street right outside. Just very close. He's covered with boils, says the passage. He has no home at all except the gutter. He's so hungry that he would pick up scraps from the dustbin that had been put there after they had fallen on the floor at the rich man's banqueting table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. I don't know whether you've ever seen eastern dogs. They must have been as much covered in sores as him. And they would come and snuffle and lick at the poor man's sores as he lay in the gutter right outside the rich man's door. The rich man must have tripped over him every time he went out. He must have heard him pleading for something to eat every time he came home. And he did nothing. The Jesus that we are enjoying thinking about tonight the one who gave himself, the one we love, cares about situations like that. Cares passionately that such things can happen. Two men. And they both died. 
in the same verse, within verse 22. They both died in the same verse. Maybe one died of starvation and the other died of overindulgence. I don't know. It wouldn't be very hard to imagine that from the way they've been described. People do that in this planet. Die of starvation and overindulgence on the same day. Even in our own country, you will from time to time find people who die of starvation. And both survive death, of course, as we all will. I think these verses have something to say amidst current controversies about what does happen to people after death. They both died, they both survived. And the two hereafters, the one finished up in hell, in Jesus' words, and the other in heaven. Notice how much they were conscious of each other. The one in hell was conscious of where he was and where he could have been, and cries out. It must have been a real shock to the Jews to hear the rich man described as being in hell. Because to a Jew, prosperity was actually a sign of God's blessing upon you. You know, if God blessed you with rich food and fine clothes and a big mansion, well, God must love you, bless you, accept you very much. It's nothing of the sort. Prosperity is not a sign of God's blessing. It, it never has been quite that simple. Even in the Old Testament, uh, that land that was said to be flowing with milk and honey was itself something of a test. And before they went in, Moses called all the people together and said, now you be very careful that when your soul is fattened, when your body swells out with all the good stuff that you're going to get when you cross that river Jordan, you be very careful you don't forget the Lord your God. Lazarus, Lazarus, we read in verse 25, is now comforted in heaven. That's the phrase is. He was at Abraham's side. It turned out that all along, this poor man had been a believer. He had been a true child of Abraham. And at last he had gone, finally, to his own real home. God had drawn him into heaven. And the rich man found himself now tormented by thirst in the place Jesus calls hell. If I'm going to have to beg sometime, I would rather beg for bread on earth than beg for water in heaven. Those two destinations were fixed and final. And Jesus told the story to the Pharisees in their love of money. These people who sat around in these meetings and whether outwardly on their face or just inwardly in their heart, they sneered at what the Lord was saying and paid not the slightest attention. Now, what are we to make of all this? and How are we to apply it to ourselves? Well, it would be easy, I suppose, to jump to one conclusion which the rest of the New Testament again and again denies. In other words, you could say that the rich man missed out on salvation because he didn't give generously enough to the poor. And we can easily get to thinking that... Um, if he had uh, given away his wealth more generously, then he would have finished up in heaven. Now, Scripture declares that salvation is not by 
such love and good works. It's by grace that you are saved. And that's what we've been rejoicing at tonight, because we know that's what we need. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith. It's not of love and good works. And yet, while salvation is not procured by our love and good works and the process of life, it is entirely the gift of God. And yet it's right to say that salvation invariably leads to love and good works. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong in the foundations. This is where it begins to bite us. There's another passage in the New Testament that is almost like um, an exposition of, of these verses. It comes in James chapter 2. James 2 verse 14. <coughs> where um, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, actually, I, I take him to be. The half-brother, I should say. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, he goes along to religious meetings, he takes religious magazines, he receives prayer letters, he claims to have faith, he, he presents himself as a Christian, he claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, God, God bless you, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. This rich man had ignored completely the Old Testament command Old Testament command, love your neighbour as you love yourself. That is not something that's original to Jesus. Jesus didn't bring that up. That is buried in the Old Testament. Love your neighbour, you Jews, you Old Covenant Jews, love your neighbours just as much as you love yourself. And he got to thinking that it didn't really matter whether he obeyed God's word, paid attention to it or not. That God wouldn't actually rebuke or judge him for merely ignoring his word. And Jesus is pointing out that what lay behind his inaction with need that was lying on his doorstep was actually unbelief. Plain old unbelief. If you don't really believe anything, then you don't do anything. I think we've just sung, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. Inside, I kind of cry out for, well, I need some more verses. You know, tell me what are the results of this? Because we can train ourselves into thinking, yeah, I believe this and I believe that. But, and then the world says, well, so what? What are the results of this? Now, let's just stop a moment and think about the whole business of God speaking to us. God speaking to you. What does it feel like when God speaks to you? I think we sometimes imagine that it must be, um, because it's God, it must be always awesome and moving and out of the ordinary and hugely emotional and gobsmacking. Have you got the idea? We imagine that that's what it must be like. But the Lord says, I've called you as my friends. I haven't called you my servants. I've called you to be friends. Is talking to your normal friends always so awesomely gobsmacking and smiting? 
I mean, if I come home one day and, and say to Trish, I just met my friend Kim out in the street, and we were talking about, you know, Friday morning's prayer meeting, and it was awesome. The Lord really spoke to me through Kim. And it was just overwhelming, and I need to go and lie down for a bit. And I, you know, no, he spoke to me, he's my friend. Normal. Clear. Straightforward. God speaks to his friends often very quietly through his word, through, through the entirely normal. And that is to be the experience of Christians. And I suspect, you know, sometimes we, we have a dangerous heart of unbelief. That's what the scripture calls it. A dangerous heart of unbelief towards God when he speaks normally. So when we come to listen to his word, when we come to a meeting like this, we, we somehow think, well, this is the preacher doing his thing. You know, somebody booked him, Kim, phoned him up, got him to do it. And, and this is what we go through. We have some worship and then somebody goes on a bit and then we go home. But actually listening to God speaking, quietly, normally, healthily, sanely, reasonably. But it's God. It's, it's taken from, from the word and, and it makes some sense to you. That should be the most important point of the week for us too just like for that rich man God's word comes as a test of whether we really believe God and what he says or not did you really believe what you heard last week I mean, was all that stuff about use your money and your possessions and your things now with the explicit aim of making Friends in eternity, did it make any difference? Or was it just David going on? Or was it God speaking? His conversation, uh, the rich man's conversation with Abraham, is very revealing. Because in death, he suddenly became very evangelistically minded. And I expect some will. His first request was for himself, that was in character. You know, give me water. But his second was for others. Send Lazarus, he said, to tell my five brothers the true situation. To warn them. And Abraham said, why? Why should I? They have already in their possession all that God has to say on the subject. God has nothing more to say than he has already said through Moses and the prophets. And then the rich man replies, but I had all that. I had it all, and it didn't make any difference. I had the scriptures. I didn't believe them. I didn't want to, because I was addicted to my lifestyle. They need warning. Ah, says Abraham, precisely. You didn't want to. The problem is, if people don't want to pay any attention to God, then sending somebody back from the dead isn't going to make that much of difference. Verse 31. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. It's not that God is, is determined not to give much evidence. It's quite the opposite. If seeing or hearing ghosts and apparitions would make the difference. Every room and every street in Leamington and 
Walsall and wherever would be full of ghosts and apparitions. If it would make the slightest bit of difference. That's what the word of God says. The problem is not lack of evidence. It is their own moral determination to ignore what God has said and remain willfully addicted to their own lifestyle. This has been demonstrated for centuries. Because God did in fact raise somebody from the dead. Jesus. And has it made a great deal of difference? And there have been down through the centuries, from time to time, other people raised from the dead. It's not very common. It does occasionally, we are told, happen. Certainly there have been many other miraculous events. And has it led to a great tidal wave of people turning to God? No, it hasn't. God had spoken to those brothers of this rich man already, very plainly, in Scripture, as he has to us. This is God's method of evangelism. And then raised Jesus from the dead, and then kept speaking through the apostles. The challenge tonight is, is very simple and very practical. Do we really believe what God said? Or do we sort of duck and let it go over our head and then carry on for another week? And just every Sunday do a quick sort of duck and the word of God just misses it. Do we really believe what God is saying in, in this series that we're looking at, living now in the light of eternity? The opening part of the chapter, the first half, use your money for eternal purposes, for evangelism, for the development of your character, for serving the Lord by, by serving the poor and so on. And then from verse 19 to the end is a real call for action. Go on, do it. The need was right under the nose of that rich man. It wouldn't have been very difficult to have done anything, would it? He had to probably step over the beggar as he came out of his own house. And we are surrounded by, by need of one sort or another in our own town, country, let alone further afield. My dad, let me end with him as I started with my mum, was for many years a vicar. And he always had this habit of every Sunday night, um, before going out to the service, he would listen to the headlines on the six o'clock news, and I find I'm, I do it myself. And it was to inform his prayers. And very often, he would, when he stood up and led the evening service, he would pray over some of the things that had happened, uh, were happening, just stories breaking, even that, that day. It was just one of the little things that he did. And uh, over the years, I've often done the same, as I said, and it is astonishing how Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, there are needs brought to us. Earthquake, crashes, terrorism, uh, all kinds of things. Quite apart from the things that we see and know as Christians, with our Christian perspective. The desperate need uh, for the financing of God's work. Mission after mission in real crisis. Major problems. People just not with enough. We, we are stepping over these needs every week we go through. And um, the Lord simply says about the rich man, the fact that he did nothing was unacceptable. It was a sign in the end of his unbelief. And you know where it, it finished him. May the Lord descend with this. In following him, Make us 
doers of the word and not hearers only. That's not a complicated message, is it? You could summarize that next week if, if you're not powers here. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.